scoot in, but I think we're okay this morning so far, so hang on. You never know. They're latecomers. Hey, my name's Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and this is my friend Andy Petrie. Y'all know what Andy does? Andy leads our Celebrate Recovery team here. Good morning, Andy. Morning, Clark. Yeah, we've got a few things we wanted to keep in front of you um, during the holiday season is it's about to get crazy around here and some of you are going to be coming and going and traveling and family and all those kind of things. But we want to give you a little bit of uh, some clues as to what's coming your way. Um, the first thing we want you to remember is that every year through the gift, um, we partner with you to say thank you to God for his faithfulness to us. And it's a creative way um, for you to give year end. And we use that money for different projects here at Fellowship, but we also partner, as you've seen um, in previous weeks, with different ministries that we love to partner with, both local and global. And so be mindful of that as you consider your year-end giving. And then uh, Andy's got an announcement about something that's coming our way late in the year. Yeah, so. we've, we've got an exciting couple weeks coming up. Uh, I, I had to check myself this morning, but next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Isn't that insane? Uh, did that sneak up on anybody else as well? Totally did on me. Of course, my wife would probably say that's no surprise, but next week is our Christmas Eve services. And so we've got three services 
The first two are our regular morning service times at 9 and 1045, and then we have a 5 p.m. evening service. Now, that 5 p.m. service is typically when, when folks are uh, thinking about more, uh, like, if they're a visitor, I'm trying to figure out what I'm saying here, Clark. Yeah. But if they're if they're a visitor and and, and uh, coming in, uh, they'll probably take that uh, that evening option. And so we'd love to ask that if you're a, a regular attender here, please consider heading to one of those morning services to help relieve some of the pressure on that yeah. evening service. That's clear. So, Everybody, good. If you're here this morning, come back this time next week. <laughs> How about that? That was yeah. probably a better way to yeah, say no, it, Yeah, it was Clark. good. Yeah. Uh, well, we know that Pope messed up that announcement a few weeks ago and wanted all of y'all to come to the five. So we're just trying to straighten that out. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, uh, fun fact as well, uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve are exactly a week apart. And so uh, the very next Sunday on the 31st is New Year's Eve. And so uh, Celebrate Recovery, our Celebrate Recovery ministry always does something for folks on New Year's Eve. If you're looking for a safe place to celebrate that holiday, we know it can be uh, a, a time that's a struggle for, for some of us in here. And so we always do a Christmas Eve party, uh, and so that'll be in the Student Center that night. But something else is, that we're really excited about that, that's coming up with Celebrate Recovery as we look going into this new year is that uh, after Christmas and rolling through the third week of January, we're actually going to be doing a series over the, the, the principles of Celebrate Recovery. Um, you know, we're calling it life sealing Choices, yeah. which is uh, kind of how, one of the ways that we've used some of the principles of Celebrate Recovery. But the reason why we're doing this is because, first off, if you're looking for a perfect church with perfect people, we're sorry, we're going to disappoint you because that's not us. We aim to be a church of redeemed people that live in authentic relationship with God and each other. And we know that every single one of us here in this room, we've got stuff that we carry in here with us. And the only way for us to, to cast those things off and, and run this race with Jesus and each other well is to acknowledge that we're all broken people, but through coming to Jesus together, we can find healing. And so our first couple of weeks of this next year is gonna be focused as a church family just being honest about some of the things that are going on, but pointing us towards the hope and healing that's found in Jesus. And I can't think of a better way yeah. to start off the year. I'm excited about It's going to be a that. great year. And then we're going to move into a series on the life of David that'll take us all the way up to Easter. And so that'll be some good times in the Old Testament, doing narrative like that and seeing what we can learn from King David. Um, last announcement, and this is for you. How many early risers we got in here? Got a few? Yeah. January the 21st through March the 10th, we're going to have a 745 service in here, a.m. <laughs> yes, Todd White, you heard that right, a.m. As y'all know, about 24, 25 weeks out of the year, it's pretty crazy around here in the parking lot and in this room, and by the way, we celebrate that. That's not an inconvenience to us. God's been faithful to us. And so this is an opportunity for, you, for us during certain seasons of the year to try adding an early service. And so it'll be a little bit shorter, be about 50 minutes in length. And so if you serve, you'll be able to stay and um, go to nine. In fact, we're going to provide early childhood opportunities um, for those of you with families of young ones. And so we're going to need some folks to jump in and help serve and create and build that volunteer team out as well. But we're super excited about why we have the opportunity to do this. And so we'd love for all of y'all to flood into that 745 service and celebrate that with us. And so we're super pumped about what God's doing. And so in light of that, um, I wanted to have Andy pray for our morning, celebrate what God is doing. Absolutely. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Thank you for... Uh, God, just the way that you're, you're changing lives and leading us closer to you. And God, I pray that this morning, as we look at the joy that is found in you, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred closer to you, that we would see you more clearly. And God, that we would just give you praise for who you are and what you've done. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, church. And for those of you guys that may not know me, my name is Isaiah, and I get the privilege to serve as one of the worship pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. 
But oftentimes, week in and week out, I'm serving in FSM. And so this morning, I'm grateful for the privilege just to share the room with each of you, to worship alongside each of you. This morning, we take a moment to engage with confession. For a moment, each of us to just invite the Lord into all the areas of our life. Whether there's sin that's in our heart, or maybe there's areas just of pain and hurt that we need to lay at his feet. And so first, we'll read this confession together corporately, and then we'll take a moment just to be still. And so church, let's read this together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. And so we take a moment now just to confess individually. there's good news for us that Christ didn't leave us in our sin but he actually came and lived among us dwelt among us and died a death on a cross that had our name on it and so we've been invited into new life into restored life into redeemed life with Jesus and with the Father and so church we believe the good news Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so church, let's worship to that end this morning. Could we stand as we sing?
family friend of ours in our church, uh, Joe and Elizabeth Ray and their sons, and they're going to do our reading and our scripture passage this morning as we light the Advent candle of joy. I'm incredibly grateful for you, Joe, and your leadership and your home, the west side of Fayetteville. And then Joe and I, uh, we get to be part of a men's small group together as well. And so you've been a huge encouragement to me and my family, and I appreciate what God's doing in through your family. So Joe. We light this candle as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Advent means arrival. We reflect on the first advent of Christ and await the next. We look for the coming of God's kingdom. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall we learn war anymore. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall bloom and rejoice with singing. We light this candle as a symbol of joy, joining in the celebration with those from centuries ago in view that God has come in Christ and that Christ will come again. We rejoice in God's work in history and in the future to come. And together we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. And a reading from the book of Luke from Asa. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You may be seated. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. 
The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Joy. Do you have it this morning? Are you in a season of rejoicing right now? Um, do you have a sense of sorrow? Sid, we celebrated one of our friends, and many of you did. Um, Benton Kate had his homegoing celebration this past Thursday. Michael Smith did a great job honoring him and his family. And Benton Kate is experiencing joy right now in a way that we're not. His family's in a place of sorrow. And yet, they do have joy that they will one day be reunited with him. They know where he's at. Do you have joy this morning? Where does it come from? How do you define it? Um, I've wrestled the, the last few years. I've had an opportunity to teach on this topic in a variety of settings. Uh, some in here during this series, um, during Advent. And um, it's a really difficult uh, word to define. Um, I think we understand what rejoicing looks like, but joy itself, what is, what is that? And so the Bible Project does a good job um, collecting some of those thoughts and giving overviews for that. Um, as I talk with folks, um, a, a lot of those, the, the, the way they're put together, you would think they're designed only for children, but I have more adults come to me and say, I really enjoy those, okay? And so they're super helpful um, to understand some simple concepts that are complex at times. I know um, I experienced joy. I know on our, my wedding day, um, the birth 
of my three sons were days of joy um, for Pam and I. Um, I know there's moments uh, when, when we were younger and we were camping uh, down by the buffalo and I was making a campfire to cook breakfast on and the sun was coming up. I mean, just there's something um, almost supernatural in that moment about just this deep sense of, of God's pleasure and his creation. It felt a lot like joy. On a more personal note, when I see you, our church family, take care of one another and love one another and sacrifice to help one another, I have incredible joy as a pastor. And so you're part of my joy this morning, and I know our other pastors would say that as well. But also for me, I feel joy when I see this person right here. <laughs> my wife, Pam, for those of you that know her, you know that she brings joy to a room. When she walks in, no lie, when she walks in our house in the evening sometimes after work, it feels like we've just won the lottery. And she's got that news coming, not that we play the lottery. But I was at a social engagement the other night, and the first time, that the first thing this one person said to me as I arrived a little bit early, they said, where's Pam? Because they know that the party comes with Pam and the joy. They're not worried about me. Where's Pam? Is Pam coming? She could come home and tell me she wrecked a car, but then tell me what an amazing conversation she had with the person that was involved in the accident. She makes the person she's talking to feel like they're the most important person in the room, and they are to her in that moment. There's times when she enters the room and, and she's got a great laugh too. And when she hasn't seen a, a friend of hers for a while, you can hear the, the shrieking, the screaming, the, the shouts of joy. And I don't know what all that is, but you ladies, y'all have that down. It's like, a, it's like a language. Her smile does a lot of the work for her, obviously. But I, th I think there's something deeper to her joy, that in 35 year, 34 years of knowing her, almost 29 years, this January 14th of being married to her, um, I think I've understood over time where her joy comes from. You see, Pam, I think she actually believes where Advent joy comes from. She believes that it's found in the good news of a promise kept. Advent joy is found in the good news of a promise kept. And the joy that Pam brings into the room is something much deeper than happiness. It's much deeper than a disposition of a personality. It's something that she believes, and it gives her security and the ability to be present in the room with others and bring light to the room. She's bought into this good news of salvation, of rescue that's promised by God and secured by the birth of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and it brings her great joy. In the Old Testament, joy was most often connected to God's rescue story of the Israelites through the Red Sea from the hands and from slavery in Egypt. As they remembered that story, their salvation rescue, God would use it, would bring it up in front of them to remind them to trust them in the present so that when he made new promises, they could count on him to be trusted for their future. Joy was always connected to celebrating that rescue story. As you move into the New Testament, um, angels celebrate and express joy when an unbeliever becomes a follower of Jesus. We know in Luke chapter 15, there's joy when a lost coin is found, when a lost sheep is found, and when a lost or a wandering son comes home. There's incredible joy. In James, we're, to, we're told to count it all joy in our trials and our persecution. In fact, um, both Peter and John, they saw suffering as an opportunity for joy because it was for the name of Jesus. God's kingdom is described as a place of righteousness, peace, and joy. 
The disciples were commanded to, re- to remember where their joy came from, that their names were written in heaven. And then we see joy from an experiential standpoint throughout the New Testament, being a fruit of fellowship with Jesus, John 14, 15, and 16, walk us through what that looks like. We know it's a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and so we're going to pick up this Advent joy in a field this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're just going to look at these four brief verses. We find ourselves in this field with the news in verse 7 of chapter 2 of a baby being born that would make this joy possible. Hope, as we looked at in our first week of Advent, is now realized. A promise has been confirmed and been answered. Peace, as, as Michael walked us through last week, is now present in human form. And God has become a man. And now joy is found in our text today. The eternal has invaded the earthly. God is now with us in our circumstance. Divinity with humanity. Heaven has entered a stable I'm going to give you just three phrases to kind of remember today and to work us through our text today. This joy is found in our circumstance as God meets us there through this good news, and it's for all people. In our circumstance, through good news, and for all people. We're going to jump back, just skip up a few verses to uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to see where the circumstance began for the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So we find Jesus being born at a real time in a real place in history. He's not a mythical figure, documented evidence of his birth. And then we'll learn also of his death and resurrection. There was a real time in a real place in the Roman world, under the Roman Empire, where he was that he was born into in a real city. His recognition as Lord, as we see in our text, and it was read by the Ray family, would actually cause issue for his future followers at a time when Caesar, Caesar Augustus, was deified as a Lord or as a God. You see, Augustus was Caesar from 44 BC to 14 AD. He was also known as Gaius Octavius, And historical documents have found that he was referred to, and as I I quote, okay, this is about him, Caesar Augustus, he was the divine savior who has brought peace to the world. So imagine the affront of a baby Jesus being, having this said about him at this time, at this place, under this emperor, under this Caesar. The circumstance of poverty and humility that Jesus would be born into would be a stark contrast to the life of the kings of the earth and what they were born into. The Roman census happening, they're registering for that, and it's for the government to tax the people in different places, and um, this was happening all around the known Roman world at the time. We jump into our passage, we learn a little bit about more of the circumstance that Jesus was born into. In verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You see, Jesus' humble beginning, his identification with the poor and those rejected would be an ongoing theme in the Gospel of Luke. And you begin to see this here with the shepherds. So it's not lost in the details that shepherds were looked down upon in Jesus' day. Their job made them ceremonially unclean, obviously, and they had an untrustworthy, many of them, they had an untrustworthy reputation. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that old, in the Old Testament, the idea of shepherd was used as a metaphor of how we take care of God's people and how certain spiritual shepherds were entrusted with that responsibility. It's not lost on me either that the idea that these shepherds were raising sheep, that just in a short time would be used during Passover as sacrifices for the people's sin. 
At least for me, I find that fascinating given the one, this baby would become our good shepherd and he would lay his life down for the sheep. And so what follows in this announcement that this angel brings, it's the third annunciation or the third announcement. There's been one to Elizabeth, there's been one to Mary, and now there's one to the shepherds. And in the previous two, they were made to two folks in a physical and a tangible family about John and Jesus. There were birth announcements, there was fear involved, but this one lifts our eyes up to a much bigger scene, a much greater family, one that would become a spiritual family. So what's the good news that brings this great joy that these angels proclaim? Well, if you go back, and Michael did a great job of this last week. He went back to the promise that was made to Abram, who would become Abraham in the Old Testament, that God would bless all the families of the earth, all the ethnic groups of the world through his offspring. And God's people would take that promise, kind of believe it, and strive with him, sometimes trusting him, sometimes not. There would be good kings, but mainly bad kings that were their shepherds. Political oppression, spiritual darkness, fruits of disobedience, and even the law that he had given them to take care of them and protect them from themselves and to relate to him. They didn't obey, and that law ultimately couldn't save them spiritually from their sin. And then Michael reminded us last week from Isaiah about this peace, this prince of peace that would come. And this Savior would not be like the distant pagan gods that the nations around them worship, but he would come near and he would be present and become like us in our humanity. You see, this baby Jesus born was a hope realized. He was peace with God. I don't want to miss the details in this announcement in Luke, if you've studied Luke before, you'll know that some of the elements of this proclamation, this announcement, are some of the primary themes that you see as you continue to work through Luke's gospel. It's fascinating. In fact, and I think Garland has shared this before too, there was actually a birth announcement worded much like this when Caesar Augustus was born. It's been discovered by our archaeologists. The phrase Christ is Lord here in this text It occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. Savior, this idea of Messiah, God, it actually only occurs in Luke's gospel here, referring to Jesus. So a few just observations from our passage here on what this good news is. If you've ever tried to communicate that to someone I'm going to give you a layup this morning. It is really clear in our text this morning. You can see here first, one of the reasons this news is good, in fact, it's great news, is that it immediately is supposed to dispel fear. Upon the bringing of this good news, do not fear, removes fear. Him being the Savior, the lineage of David, the Messiah, means he's the rescuer. He rescues from sin. Is that not incredible news this morning? It's also the restoration of the true Messiah, the one who would come. A promise realized. And then the recognition that Christ is Lord. He is actually the world's true king. Oh, he didn't come the way we thought he would or the way they thought he would. But he is the true king who will one day reign and rule with perfect and imperfect righteousness. And then our big clue here, one of the reasons this is great news, good news of great joy is that it's for all the people. There's some clues here. Who are these people? We know one. It's some of those people are Jews who've been waiting on the promised Messiah. But as he alludes to himself as being Christ the Lord, it's a a reminder, a reference to this one who would Bless all the peoples of the earth that was promised to Abraham. In fact, as God references his people in Isaiah 49, he says this, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Fortunately for us, this is where we get brought into that promise. Most of us are Gentiles in this room. We're not ethnic Jews. 
And God has brought us into this Christmas joy promise that would be for all the people. Where did the good news find you? We are part of this all the people. Where did it find you? You see, it found its way out of Jerusalem and in Acts to Judea to Samaria. It would make its way north up to Antioch in the book of Acts. There would be a church there, and they would send out global workers like we try to do, and they would begin to move west through Asia, through Europe. Eventually, over the centuries, this good news would make its way across the sea and into the United States of the Americas, and into even a place like Arkansas. Where did it find you? We know it found our brother, Benton Kate, likely down in Dumas, Arkansas. Do we have any Dumasites in here? Yeah. It found my mama down in Stuttgart. This good news has found you in a certain time, in a certain place, maybe in Huntsville, maybe even down in Mena. Maybe in Little Rock, Lake Village. I don't know where. Where did it find you? It found me at exit 183 on Reynolds Road in Bryan, Arkansas, when it was a one-exit town, in a little church, actually 38 years ago Friday, December the 15th, 1985. Good news. It made sense. He was my savior, and he rescued me. That's where it found me. Where did it find you? Maybe that's the source of the joy you need to reflect on as we anticipate coming week. And if it hasn't found you in one of those places, it could be that today good news has found you. Because for the first time, you're hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and it's making sense. The scriptures teach us Our response to good news is one of faith, belief, dependence, trust. And we believe in the good work of Jesus and what he's accomplished on the cross and the resurrection. Now he reigns and rules and is seated at the right hand of God. When we make that personal, that we can experience the true joy of this good news and be in right relationship with God. I would ask you, let this Christmas week be the week of good news for you. Believe upon him the one who's the source of this good news. And we know this joy is found here in the good news of a promise kept. But I want to unpack this a little bit. I want to get a little bit grainy um, for us here um, and get really practical as we unpack how to do something with this. It seems seem a little bit elusive at times. First, I want to just acknowledge that there's a difference between happiness and joy, Okay. And this is not me coming down on happiness. I'm all about happiness. I just want to help us see some of the unique differences here. Happiness is usually an emotion that's dependent on a circumstance. When things go well for us, we're happy. When things go bad for us, we're sad. Joy is independent of circumstances. We see in the scriptures. Joy is actually found in bad circumstances, as we see them, at least. It's independent of circumstance. As I mentioned, joy is, or happiness is often rooted in emotion. Joy is rooted in faith or trust that there's a sovereign God, and he's personal, and he's behind these things, and we can trust him when we can't see in front of us. It takes faith. Happiness can be earthly. Again, not bad, but just tangible are rooted in things that are happening on the surface. Joy is eternal. It's rooted in these eternal promises, not just past that have been trusted, but future that can be trusted. It's got substance to it, happiness and joy. And then there's what I like to call at least a recognition of joy takers. Trying to think of a great word for this and struggling to come up with that. Joy thieves, things that rob us of our joy, but things that Take joy from us. Just want to recognize these as things we turn from this week so that we can turn to those things that give us joy. You know, in our world, there's a lot of grumbling. Um, There's a lot of entitlement, negativity, complaining. 
Joey can actually seem really alien and odd in our culture right now. So I've just noted four things. You can see those on the slide. These are four things, I think, that rob us of joy, that take our joy from us. Unconfessed sin being obvious, I think. But three specific sins that I struggle with, ungratefulness, forgetting what God has done, not trusting him. Entitlement, one that I struggle with, as if he owes me or others owe me something because of what I've done. Entitlement. And then a critical spirit. And I know that when I'm walking in entitlement, ungratefulness, and I have a critical spirit, that I'm losing my joy. Those are sins I would confess. You have your sins that you brought in with you this morning that we affirm, we take to the cross of Jesus as we do in our confession. Hopelessness, some of you are in a situation that you believe you'll never get out of. And there seems to be no end to the pain or the emotional turmoil that you find yourself in. And understand right now, some of you are in that space right now. And so it's robbing you. It's taking joy from you. That happens to all of us. The lack of perspective or loss of perspective in a trial can be a real taker of joy, not being able to see the big picture of what God's doing. And then finally, just empty pursuits, or what you might call hedonism, just the pursuit of pleasure as an end in and of itself. Empty pursuits, and some of us in the room are reaping the consequences of that chase. And it's not, you're tired, actually. You're worn out. You're disillusioned. The payback wasn't what you thought it would be. And then there's the, what I, I like to call the, the emptiness of the what's next syndrome. And I think we all battle this. And these are actually good things where there's always something in front of us, whether it be graduation for some of you that became a reality, maybe even this past week or weekend, whether it be the first job or your marriage, the first child, the first home, the second child, the dream home, the better job, the next trip. Actually, all of those things are good gifts from God. But when we chase them as the end and we forget the giver of that gift, they actually leave us without joy. The what's next syndrome. None of these things secure lasting joy. But these are four things that I've noted that give us joy. Um, and this is just observing from pastoring for, in some capacity for 29 years. These are things that I've noted um, help bring joy. One is just gratefulness. Um, I've never met a grateful person that didn't seem to be joyful, not just happy, but have a deep, intrinsic joy about them. Generosity. Never, never met a generous person who wasn't full of joy. Community. I'm an introvert. And so I get deceived sometimes thinking that isolation is best because I want to be away from people. And yet I'm my best form as a follower of Jesus when I'm in the context of community. I'm a really bad Clark when I'm outside of community. And so I need my small groups with Joe. I need my community group. I need my family. I need you guys on Sundays in the context of community. There's joy here. And then finally, just perspective. That even though when you think you're not making progress, and I've felt that some in the last few weeks, God is forming me in the image of Jesus, and I can take joy in that, and that he's committed to this work more so than I am to forming me into the image of Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we have obvious reasons for great joy it's why I think Pam, my wife, I think she gets it. Behind the smile, there's this hope that's been realized in her heart. There's a peace that is producing this joy. She's really at peace, and she's a secure person because of what Jesus has done for her on the cross and resurrection. And so as we consider Emmanuel in this series, God with us, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples in John chapter 14. You see, 
Jesus in John chapter 14, he's about to leave his disciples, and he's going to make his way to the cross, and they're struggling. They're just, one, they're struggling with trying to understand what he's talking about. Where are you going again? And he gives them this promise in John 14, 16, and 17. He says, I'm going to ask the Father. He will give you another helper. It's the word paraclete. It's, what, it's the Holy Spirit. Come alongside you and be with you, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Now hear this. For he dwells with you. And this is what's different about Christian joy. Not just with you and alongside you, he will be in you. This is what's different about the new covenant that Jesus has brought. He puts his spirit in us and he becomes our source of joy. This is the type of joy that's in my wife, Pam. And then did you know that Jesus was a joy chaser? He was chasing joy. And we know that in the context of this race that we've been called to run in Hebrews 12, we're commanded to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, see it, For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was this joy that Jesus was after. And we don't know specifically what it was. We know it was in front of him. It could be that it was the finished rescue work that he had been called to complete, and it was for us. And that brought him great joy. It could be that it was just this Simple obedience and fellowship with the Father that would be restored with him after the cross and resurrection. Or it could be the joy of kingship as he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus had joy in his trial. And in doing so, he bought your joy and my joy. How cool is that? We find joy on this Advent. Sunday and a promise made good by a faithful God, a baby born as a man secured by the cross that gives us great joy in our circumstance. Did you know that next time this phrase great joy is used in the gospel is in Matthew 28. There's a group of women. They've made their way to the tomb. There's been fear There's been an angel pronounced, he is risen. And the word that's the phrase that's used is with fear and great joy, they run to tell the disciples. This story of joy has come full circle. You see, because it's in the resurrection and that joy that takes the birth of a baby and gives us the opportunity to be reborn and to have resurrection life. This is true joy. This is Advent joy. God's faithfulness to keep a promise to give us the good news that would be great joy for all the people. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, the work of your son on our behalf. We celebrate him and the joy he brings this morning. Like bombs bursting in the dead of night, Christ came to us. He came for us. He came like us, just like us, wrapped in the very dust that he himself had made. The fullness of God concealed within the frame of an innocent babe, with the splendor of a thousand suns, bringing the darkness to its knees in trembling submission. He is God with us. The full weight of heaven putting its feet on the earth, consummating the hope of generations in the moment of his birth. He is the fullness of deity, the embodiment of eminence, the personification of promise, the culmination of covenant, the answer to every question that's ever been raised throughout history about who God is. And with his every movement, he has shown us who God is. God is holy. 
holy, holy, absolutely and definitively other than, transcending every benchmark and reference point known to man, holy, dwelling in a high and holy place and yet sweeping down low into the depths of depravity to show that he is God, but he is for us, holy, with eyes too pure to look upon evil and an arm too strong to be matched with an equal, blameless in every possible way, and yet choosing in his compassion to absorb every ounce of the blame. God is love, drawing near and pressing into the sorrow of the sufferer, the agony of the afflicted, the plight of the impoverished, and the shame of the sinner, love demonstrating itself not only with words but with a cross not with empty sentiment but with evidence blood-bought body-breaking grief-bearing hell-shaking evidence love relentless in the chase and patient in its pursuit love before the foundation of the earth determining to set itself on you god is humble emptying himself by taking on a servant's form and being born in the likeness of men, despising his riches by laying down his life, forsaking his throne to make the wrong things right. And though he was rich, he chose to be poor so that by his poverty, you could have abundantly more. God is mercy, rich in mercy ready to receive all who would come to him by faith in their time of need, pardoning sin and never coming to an end and following the faithful until our days are finished. Mercy bleeding out and pleading in intercession, pardoning transgression as far as the East is from the West. God is just whipping through temples and rebuking the pious, storing up almighty fury to pour out on all those who refuse to reckon with his righteousness, just drinking the cup of his father's wrath, consuming it in full on your behalf. God is mighty and the strength of his arm is too great to be measured. The kind of power that can walk on water and cleanse the leper and open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf and cause storms to seize and cause stubborn and hardened hearts to believe. Mighty, rising from the tomb just as he promised in triumph and victory. God is with us. God is among us. God is alive and well within us. He is the illuminating light coursing through our veins and radiating out of us. Light not meant to be snuffed out by our complacency, but spread like wildfire, not buried beneath frivolous affairs and trivial pursuits or overshadowed by lofty arguments that overshadow our view of the truth. You were made for mission, ransomed for a reason, rescued for the purpose of telling your story of redemption to every living, breathing soul who will listen. That is the point of Christmas. So let us shout it from the mountains, over the hills, through the valleys, and everywhere that Jesus Christ has come. And we are the living embodiment of his kingdom. So right in the middle of this season, when hearts are heavy and questions are raised, let us get up, go out, and proclaim unashamed that God is with us. Oh, come let us adore. Oh, come let us adore. Oh, come let us adore. church we proclaim that from hebrews 12 this morning it says looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or be faint-hearted so church, can we sing of the victory that we find in Jesus this morning?
him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory majesty power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore amen Fellowship Fable, we're so grateful to worship alongside you this morning. If you need prayer this morning, it'll be to your right. And if you want to take communion, it's going to be on the left side. We'll see you next week.